He tasks me. He tasks me, and I shall have him. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Why, thank you. That was awesome. You tell the baby seen this movie several times? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We're two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Uh, Tatum, what have you been watching recently? Well, believe it or not, I have started working <laughs> again, which means that uh, I don't really have much time to watch things. <laughs> so uh, what I have watched this week is Star Trek II, The Wrath of God. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I turned on a few, like, comfort things when I came home from work just to kind of calm myself down before going to sleep. So I watched a few episodes of The Office, some episodes of Rick and Morty, um, and a little bit of Parks and Rec. But yeah, for the most part, it's just been come home, go to sleep, and uh, that's it. So, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, some classic Office and Rick and Morty is is always always a a good choice to go with. So yeah. yeah. I'm pretty boring, though, and probably will be for the foreseeable future, so. (laughs) Well, that's what sitcoms exist for, you know, among other things. They're they're great comfort food. Yeah. Feeling stressed. Yeah, but Geneva, I know you've been watching some fun things, so I'd I'd love to hear about that. Well, I've been watching the opposite of comfort food. (laughs) Ironic, considering that I've had an extremely busy couple days at work, too. But um, so I just today finally caught up on Tar. I watched Tar. I loved it. Woo-hoo! Kate Blanchett is incredible, as everyone has been saying. I'm very excited to go and um, start looking online and see what other people think about the ending, because I'm very, um, yeah, I'm really curious about what, what people think about the ending, because it is very abrupt, um, which I'd heard <laughs> in the past and still somehow was not prepared for, um, <laughs> but I can see a couple different possible readings of it so yeah i'm excited to see what other people have to say about it but yeah tar is it's great um and i'm excited to see how it does um in the uh, the oscar nominations and awards uh in the the upcoming months Um, i really 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 want todd fields to win best director i mean i really want him to win he's not going to but i really want him to the other two things that I've watched recently is I did kind of a um, Shakespearean tragedy doubleheader, which is oh. always a good time. Um, so I watched the Amazon Prime um, King Lear starring Anthony Hopkins as King Lear um, recently, which is really, really good. Um, it's the third version of King Lear that I've seen. Um, I've seen... Um, uh, Ian McKellen's version from 2008 years ago, which was kind of Kingler is one of my favorite of Shakespeare's tragedies, and that version was a big activator in why 
Uh, I saw Derek Jacoby play it on stage in college, which was awesome. But I'm, yeah, I was really blown away by um, Anthony Hopkins' performance. It's this interpretation. It's a really interesting counterpoint to, or a companion piece to his performance in The Father, because this is very much a Lear who is facing dementia and is making erratic decisions. And they're, the people around him are kind of just confused about how to deal with it and also taking the opportunity to um, use his weakness to gain power for themselves. And the, the setting is contemporary. It's all, you know, it's all modern Britain in the, the costuming and the, the sets and the props and everything like that. So it's a very sort of fresh take on it. Um, Florence Pugh is in it. She's wonderful. Emma Thompson and um, Emily Watson and, yeah, it's just, it's all star-studded, you know, <laughs> great British actors um, from top to bottom. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, I also saw the 2015 version of Macbeth with... Ah, um, yeah. Yeah, Michael Fassbender, Marianne C Cotillard. Cotillard? Co yeah. Um, yeah, so have you seen that version, Tatum? No, that's that's literally, that's one of those movies that has been on my mental watch list, like, for almost 10 years, literally ever since it came out. I'm like, ah, I really need to watch that movie. And I still haven't watched it, but uh, I really want <laughs> I to. I recommend it. It's on yeah. um, HBO Max right now. It's actually leaving at the end of the month. So. <gasps> oh my gosh. Thank yeah, you so much so for telling it. me that because it's in my HBO Max watch list and I've just been lazy and not watching it. So thank you for telling me that. I will go watch it ASAP. You're welcome. Yeah, I really, really like this version. I, you know, it's the sort of, moody atmospherics period version of the play that I've kind of always pictured in my head whenever <laughs> I I read Macbeth. Um, it really focuses in on the idea, the theme of parents and children, you know, fathers and sons, parents wanting to pass down their lineage to their children and the sort of um, repressed frustration that comes when they're, they're not able to, which I thought was really interesting. Michael Fassbender and, and Marianne Cotillard are both wonderful as as you would expect uh the costuming is beautiful the cinematography is beautiful so yeah i i highly recommend that one as well so yeah that's that's been my week <laughs> three yeah. kind of dark and very emotionally intense uh tragedies basically but very, <laughs> very you know different. when you're in the mood you gotta just go all in right yep <laughs> sometimes and you just that's yeah. just how it how it be and speaking of speaking of HBO Max, you actually reminded me of something that I did watch this week. Uh, it, it's probably going to be out of date by the time you guys all listen to this episode, but uh, I started watching the HBO show The Last of Us. Um, the oh yes, with um, uh, Pedro uh, Pascal. Pe yes, yeah. thank you. Um, the first episode premiered this last Sunday, um, and. It, I will say it's it's off to a good start. I'm excited to see where where we go from here. I'm definitely I'm definitely locked in for the foreseeable future. So we'll see how it plays out. But I enjoyed good. the first I've been episode. Wondering how that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, video game adaptations don't have the greatest yeah. track record. But I'd been hearing good yeah. things about this. So yeah, I hope it. Hope I it mean, stays Geneva strong. that that Pac Man movie was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> is that what sure. it was called, Pac Man, with like Adam Sandler or whatever? I think you're thinking of Pixels. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of, Pixels. <laughs> you know, classic Pixels. You know, Pac-Man, Pixels, <laughs> Have not Potato, <laughs> Potato, same thing. Same diff. Love Adam Sandler. 
Love Adam Sandler, but I don't understand the movies that he chooses sometimes. But that's fine. He's like a bajillionaire, so he can do what he wants. You know, whatever makes him happy. Yeah, Um. (laughs) That that would be an interesting question. I wonder if that movie made him happy or if he was just like, eh, whatever. I don't know. I mean, you know, if I could just hang out with my friends and get paid millions of dollars, that would make me happy. (laughs) True. True. And he is a legitimately fantastic actor. Yep. As we both know. So Oh yes. Love him. Whatever Adam Sandler wants to do. Good for him. Yep. All right. Well, so this week, today on the show, we are discussing Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan from nineteen eighty two. Directed by Nicholas Meyer, starring William Shatner, Leonard Demoy, DeForest Kelly, and Ricardo Montalban. Wrath of Khan is the second of six Star Trek films that were made with the original series cast. The story is a sequel to the episode Space Seed, which I think was in uh, season one, um, uh, possibly season two. But um, Space Seed introduces Khan Noonien Singh, who is a genetically engineered Superman who attempts to take over the Enterprise. He's eventually defeated and banished to an uninhabited planet along with his followers by Captain James T. Kirk. So in this film, Khan and his followers are discovered by the crew of the Reliant while on an exploratory mission for Project Genesis, which is a scientific research project led by Dr. Carol Marcus, who is Kirk's ex-girlfriend. Using Genesis, Khan lures Kirk into a confrontation and attempts to exact revenge on him. His plans are only foiled by an act of sacrifice by Mr. Spock, who is Kirk's best friend. This film was a both a critical and a box office hit. It not only revitalized interest in the Star Trek universe, but it is also beloved on its own merits for the way it balances action. There's the Shakespearean theatricality of Montalban's villain performance, which is, in my opinion, just an all-time villain performance. And uh, the grounded and mature rumination that it has on aging, regret, friendship, and sacrifice. So this film, um, I was introduced to at a pretty young age, probably middle school or so. Um, my parents, neither of them are big Trekkies. Honestly, I'm not much of a Trekkie either. But for whatever reason, they both loved the Star Trek movies. And so I kind of grew up watching um, two, three, four. Didn't see six until much later. But yeah, two, three, and four. Um we just that was kind of on regular rotation when I was growing up, and I, um, yeah, I just I really fell in love with this movie and with the the chemistry between the the um, the cast. You know, it wasn't until much later that I went back and actually watched the original series along with my brother, and that was it's really fun to go back because you're seeing <laughs> you start with this movie, which is kind of intentionally taking the series in a much more dark and um adult direction in certain ways and you go back to the series and that that show you know it it does have a lot of um sort of serious themes in certain ways you know there are many episodes which are kind of explicitly commenting on things that are going on in the world or you know providing sort of political commentary on um various themes or waxing poetical about philosophical ideas but you know it's also a 60s sci-fi show where the budget of each one is you know far less than the budget of an episode nowadays and a lot of the episodes can be very silly and very campy um in a good way you know it's it's very enjoyable but it is really interesting kind of comparing 
where this movie specifically, which really changes the look and feel of Star Trek, where it takes the franchise versus where the, the franchise first came from. So Tatum, what is your history with um, the Star Trek franchise, if any? <laughs> Do you have any prior history with this movie? Yeah, so uh, my history with just Star Trek in general is is pretty minimal. Um, I remember growing up, my mom used to always tell me that she was a big Star Trek fan. She loved watching it when she was little. But that being said, she never exposed me to Star Trek at all. Like, she, she never showed me the show or any of the movies or anything. So quite literally up until yesterday when I watched this movie, my only exposure had been the most recent uh, iterations with Chris Pine and yeah, uh J.J. Abrams movies yeah and the first one which I I think I enjoyed when I saw it but I haven't seen it since I first saw it when it first came out and then the second one I remember hating it um <laughs> yeah I, it's, it's not great yeah I just remember thinking it was ridiculous so um to be perfectly honest when I when I <laughs> when you said that you wanted to watch this movie I was like wait there are Star Trek movies. I didn't even. I didn't even know that. I, um, I literally thought it was like just the TV show and then the Chris Pine movies. Uh, and I remember, like, I had this image in my brain of seeing Patrick Stewart in Star Trek clothing at some point, but I never thought about. Oh, I wonder if that was in a movie because he clearly wasn't in the TV. I don't know. I, I just, I never, I was not aware of how much Star Trek stuff there is, is so out much there. Star Trek out there, and it's it seems to be ridiculous. like it was a it was a fairly consistent franchise for decades. It wasn't just the TV show, and then it disappeared for forty years and came mm-hmm. back. Um, so yeah, anyway, that that's my history or lack thereof with Star Trek. Um, as far as my reaction to this movie, um, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's not it's not you know, the best thing I've ever seen. Um, but, but I did really enjoy it. And Geneva, this is the second movie that you have had us watch where I was like, man, I wish I saw this when I was a kid. I feel (laughs) like I would have been all over this. I, cause I feel like there's certain movies where you reach an age and you can appreciate it, but you just feel a sense of, it's not as fun as it would have been if I was like eight years old, you know? And I wish I had that experience and that nostalgia to look back on because this world is really fun and super engaging and interesting. Um, But I think because I'm coming to it at an older age, it didn't have as much magic for me as I feel like it was meant to have. Um, But that being said, I I did still enjoy it. Um, It was was a good time and it was a very... um, it was a very digestible runtime. It wasn't it wasn't too long, um, which I'm grateful for. So um yeah, it I, I had a good time with it. I don't yeah, I'm not gonna keep repeating myself and talking in circles over and over. <laughs> so I will stop talking there. <laughs> but thanks for choosing this. I, I'm glad to say that I can finally say that I've seen something Star Trek that's not the most recent JJ Abrams ones. I feel like I don't know. That's almost a rite of passage. You have to see something that's like from the original. I don't know. Was this movie, is this the same cast that was in the TV show or is this a different cast? I don't know. So just for context, so the the TV show, there were three seasons of it that ran between, um, I want to say 66 to 69, kind of the the late 60s. 
Um, it was a, it was sort of, and this is kind of just me going off the dome. So um, I, I might get a couple of details here wrong, but my understanding is that it was not necessarily a huge hit at the time, but it had a very beloved, like dedicated fan base. So it was actually yeah. canceled after two seasons, but the fans launched a write-in campaign and got, um, got it brought back on the air for a third season. And it's, that's basically the first time that's ever happened. You know, this is kind of the show that launched the idea of like fans who are dedicated to a show. Um, so yeah, three, it ran for three seasons. Then the first movie was Star Trek, the motion picture. The first movie was made in, I think 79. Um, and that movie, it was a hit. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's, it, it was kind of mixed in the reception. It's a very much like you take one episode of the show and then you stretch it out into two, <laughs> like a 90 minute to two hour runtime. Right. Uh, it's clearly very interest, uh, influenced by um, 2001 A Space Odyssey because there are some long sequences of just like special effects and flashing lights. And mm -hmm. It's very, very meditative. Um, so it's not a bad movie, but it is a little bit, you know, it's, it's slower in its pace. <laughs> <laughs> um whereas this movie is more like it feels like a complete story it feels like a movie mm -hmm. yes yeah it's like you know we're gonna actually have a villain you know it's not just gonna be like a problem they have to solve it's like here's a, a villain who is you know has his own kind of storyline and his own um emotional arc um you know it's an action movie there's um there are scenes of conflict and shooting. I mean, it's not the most, you know, by our standards, you know, it, it might seem a little bit slow in parts, but, you know, it, it's it's a bit more fast paced than um, than what came before. And it really did. Um, I mean, like I mentioned before, it really did kind of change what Star Trek looked like. It um, it brought in these uh, red uniforms that the characters all wear, which were new to the franchise. The uniforms that they wore previously looked completely different. And it also added a little bit more um, kind of in the way of like regulation and, and military procedure to how the characters were interacting, um, which hadn't really been there before and which I think really fits with what the movie is. And the movie is basically like, I mean, I've seen it just described before as a submarine movie. You know, it's a little, a lot of it is like something out of, um, you know, The Hunt for Red October, where, you know, where it's these characters in separate locations speculating on what the other person is doing. And they, when they communicate, it's only over radio or over screens or like a master and commander or something like that, you know, where the, the sh ships kind of swing past each other and do firing passes and then go off and regroup and... So yeah, the the style of it is is really really interesting. Oh, but sorry, yeah, I was giving the context for this. Yeah, so there was the TV show. Then they made six movies in total with the original series cast, and then um, there was the next show was Star Trek: The Next Generation, and that had um, Patrick Stewart as the the lead, the captain in that show, and that's a takes place like decades after the the original series is supposed to take place and i'm not sure how much overlap there is in terms of when the original series movies versus the star trek the next generation tv show came out they might have overlapped by a few years but um then next generation had its own set of movies and there have been other tv shows after that that um have come out but yeah so that's 
that's the original series Star Trek and its TV show and, and movies. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wanted to leave a blank in case you had any comment or something on that. No, just listening. Okay. Yeah, and then the uh, the J.J. Abrams movies were, um, you know, taking the characters from the original series and reimagining them. The idea is that it's an alternate timeline, and so it's the same characters, but what if their lives had gone a little bit differently? And so they still came together and were on the Starship Enterprise together, but under different circumstances. And so Star Trek, the second one, what is that? Star Trek Into Darkness, I think. Um, yeah. Does kind of, kind of just redoes Wrath of Khan again, but but it's so worse, way so worse. much worse, <laughs> like it's, so much worse. They cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan, which is like such oh terrible goodness. casting. Oh That's my goodness! Really, like, I I'm a know, fan of Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah, but he's he's a really good actor when he's used well. But like, it's why on earth would you think that he could play Khan? Like, like come on. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you had something else to say there. Nope. Yep. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, why don't we start then with talking about the character of Khan and Ricardo Montalban's performance. So Khan is, as I mentioned before, he is this genetically altered Superman. In the original show, he is this character who had... Um, basically come to power in the the very futuristic 1990s <laughs> and had amassed this following and tried to take over the world. And he's kind of um, presented in the show as a sort of analog to Napoleon with a little bit of Hitler thrown in, this sort of totalitarian dictator, but who is sort of very char charismatic. And so the characters have these sort of admiration for him, even though they also acknowledge that he is a terrible <laughs> person. Um. But he is this sort of, you know, Ricardo Montalban is just so charismatic, you know, in in everything that he's able to do and the way he carries himself in his um, just how commanding he is. And in this movie, this really, really, for me, carries over. You know, he is this character who has, you know, after years of being abandoned on this planet and seeing his wife die, he's just absolutely gone mad with hatred and this desire for vengeance and yet you're still you know you you just want to see you're just so fascinated by everything he does you know every line out of his mouth is just something that echoes around in my mind you know there's so many great lines in this movie um and it's this movie you know it's it's taking all of these analogs from classic literature which always makes me happy so he's um, he's a lot of the movie. He's quoting Moby Dick. You know, he's Captain Ahab from Hell's Heart. I stab at thee, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So he's just like he can't let anything go. You know, he he finally is able to escape the planet with his people, and yet and he could just take them to a safe place and they could start over. And yet he he refuses to. You know, he has to see take Kirk down. He has to know that Kirk is defeated. And that's just ultimately his undoing. So anyway, what did what did you think of the character of Khan and the performance? Um, I think, and I mean this in the highest compliments. I think that his performance was insane. Like I, <laughs> I the character uh -huh. of Khan is absolutely outrageous. His costume is crazy. 
his mm-hmm. wig is so extravagant that I'm just like, okay, <laughs> that's a choice. His, his perf- huge bare chest. Yeah. His amazing like, pectoral muscles. His, I mean, his super thick necklace with, it's just, and his performance is so, he's so intense. Like, he, you know, I think that I'm intense. And then I look at him and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like he's feeling every single emotion to the millionth degree of everything. And I remember there's this one part where someone says like, cause I wrote this down in my notebook. Someone just says, we must withdraw. And he goes, no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's so, he's just so passionate. And like you said, full of revenge. And, um, I, I just think his character is insane. I think his performance is insane, but I mean that in a very, very positive way. And I think for me personally, my favorite shot in this whole movie was um, the opening. The first time that we see him, when we just see his gloves and he's taking the gloves off, I really, really love that shot of just these gloves and you don't know who it is who's wearing them. And, and it's just the these black gloves with these silver, I, I don't even know what they are on top, but and he slowly removes them from his hands one by one. And then it just shows his face. It's like, whoa. Who is yeah, this the guy? Slow reveal where he he peels back the veil from the bottom half of his face, and then he slowly takes the helmet off from the top half of his face. Yeah, it's a great villain reveal. Yeah, it just I think it. I don't know. In my opinion, I feel like he's the the protagonist of this movie. I mean, antagonist, I guess technically, but I I feel like he's the main character. I feel like the whole the whole story revolves around him. I find. I find Khan to be the most interesting character in this movie. I find everyone else to kind of just be, it's kind of like the world exists for Khan and everyone else just lives in it. And um, (laughs) I think that's very much what Khan himself would agree with. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone else is kind of, I I don't want to say boring because they're not boring, but it's just, they are nowhere near in any of their conflicts or anything none of them are as interesting to me as what's going on with Khan and in his like outrageous (laughs) just everything (laughs) um so yeah I I really liked his character and I also I when they first revealed him the only place that I'd ever seen this actor before I was like oh my gosh that's the grandpa from Spy Kids (laughs) (laughs) that was also the first place that the first thing I ever saw him in yeah, there, there's a lot of people in this movie where I saw their faces and I was like, I never knew you were in Star Trek because the the one lady um, on the ship who's got the big the big blowout, the the black lady who's got the big blowout. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're the mom from Snow Dogs. <laughs> and oh, is then, she really? I've yeah. Never seen yeah. In, yeah. In the, um, the, um, the, the the other guy. Gosh, the I'm going to look up what his what his name is the uh he plays sulu apparently his name is george Take. Yeah, i george i looked Takai, him up yeah. i looked him up on imdb because i was like why are you familiar to me i know you play a butler in something but i can't figure it out he was on the sweet life of zach and cody and i was like oh Wait, that's what? right no. yes for <laughs> one ep- know that. for one episode but it's crazy because all of these characters uh-huh. i know them for as like supporting characters from a kid's movie or a kids tv show (laughs) and then i'm watching this and i'm just like oh worlds are colliding 
this is yeah. interesting. <laughs> Where I'm sure that the the whole joke about them being cast on those things is like, oh my gosh, it's Sulu from Star Trek. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, something, something for Star the parents Trek. to enjoy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, that was completely getting off track. Um, but yeah, I, I really like Khan. I like his performance uh, or the actor's performance. I thought that, uh, I thought it, I found it to be very, very engaging. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I really love, I mean, there's this great sort of theme running throughout of uh, parents and children or, you know, the older generation, the younger generation that's mirrored in uh, Spock's training relationship with Savik, then also Kirk and his estranged son, David. But then also Khan has this second in command. Um, I think his name is Joachim. Joachim or something like that um but he's the his lieutenant basically who keeps telling him like stop doing this turn back you know you you have we have our freedom we can go anywhere we want we can start our lives over you don't need to be pursuing Kirk and then at every turn Khan is saying no 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 I have to I have to you know I've got to make Kirk suffer and yeah it's just it's part of the 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 tragedy of it is the way that he, you know, by refusing to let this grudge go, he just robs all of his followers of what could have been a the rest of their lives. And there's that moment toward the end when, you know, the Enterprise is, um, is firing at the Reliant and the, the bridge is all in disarray and Joachim is like buried by rubble. And Khan just has this, you know, he has all of this grief for for him, for this character that he, you know, he really seems to care about, you know, he seems to have this fatherly affection for, um, but it's, you know, it's entirely his, his own fault for pursuing this thing that eventually gets his, his, um, his second in command killed. Can I, can I make a comment on that real quick? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a silly comment. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that, that moment when he lifts that door off of that guy He's struggling so hard because it's supposed to be a heavy piece of metal. <laughs> you can totally tell that it's just this light. I don't know if it's made out of foam or what, but I just found it funny that his performance is so much like, Hah! and then at the same time, it's like, that's a very light piece of scrap metal that just is painted to look real. I found that to be funny. There's a lot of, um, I think there's, I don't know. I've, I found it to be interesting because I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie where the effects are done really, really well. I I really liked a lot of the um, the explosions inside of the ships were really impressive and they've got this fire inside and all of these things. I'm like, wow, that's super, super well done. And they've got this really these really great um, hair and makeup and these burnt bodies. And they're like I, I, so many things are done really, really well. And then there's certain things that happen that just kind of date it, you know, like that, mm. you know, him picking up that piece of of metal. And then there's another part where um, just the fact that this is supposed to be the 23rd century and the technology is like eons behind where we are now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Not always hilarious they... to see what they imagine, like, you know, television screens 
or computer screens are going to look like in the right. 23rd century. It's it's just and they're so it's, tiny. It's so funny to me whenever I mean I think they did a great job considering when it was made, but those things are always just funny to me. And uh there was also a moment at the end when Khan is kind of giving his last final speech before he goes off somewhere where part of his prosthetic is coming off of your face, coming off of his face and you can see it. I'm like, "Ah, Ah, let the let the makeup person go in there and just fix that. You guys can do another take, but um <laughs> I didn't even I I remember and this is like, you know, a product of me seeing this at a at a much younger age. Maybe I wasn't even in middle school, maybe I was younger than that. Maybe it was in elementary school. But I just remember being really haunted by the look of Khan when in the very final moments when, you know, he's mortally wounded and he's um setting up the Genesis device to go off. I just remember being like yeah terrified by it like it it looks so creepy and disgusting and like horrifying to me of course now you know it maybe doesn't look quite <laughs> quite that bad but as a child you know you got that very vivid imagination you're like oh gosh this guy's skin is melting off his face what's going on yeah i mean like that that goes back to what i said in the beginning i feel like e- even though i did enjoy this movie i wish i had seen it when i was younger and i could have Without all of this previous previous exposure to all of the other things that are in the world, I wish I could have seen this with a fresh brain, not knowing how much, I guess, I don't want to say better, but how much more advanced technology has gotten. I wish I could have just gone in with a clean slate so I could have really just been terrified of all of these things. Um, although I will say those little monster bug things that go into people's oh, ears, gosh. gross. I yeah. I mean I'm the effects I'm, on that are so well done. Yeah, I'm a grown ass woman, and I was watching that, and I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I can't watch Ugh. this. I'm gonna look away because this is nasty. I can tell that the ear is fake. I know it's not mm-hmm. real, but at the same time, gross. Because <laughs> it's like it's the idea of it too. You know? it's like, even if you intellectually know that the the ear models that they're using are plastic, the idea. <sighs> crawling into your ear and oh gosh and like so gross even just thinking about it is like oh I don't (laughs) like it I don't like it (laughs) yeah yeah oh oh speaking of that too I I knew from the very beginning once those two people or whoever it was went down to that planet I was like the black guy's gonna die I know it I just know (laughs) the black guy's gonna die because they're setting it up that way and it's always the black guy that dies first I still don't understand why he died and the other guy didn't because they both had the things in their ears. But yeah. either way, I mean, the, I, the, yeah. act, the real answer is because the other guy was is a Star Trek original series cast. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was I don't know if funny is the right the right word, but I was like, yep, of course, the black guy's dead. Knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> classic, classic trope, unfortunately. Um. So with the opening of the movie, one thing that I read while I was doing a little bit of uh, quick internet research for this was that the idea that Spock was going to die was leaked out um, early on in this movie's production process and fans were not happy. And so what they did to counter this or was, and again, very quick internet research, so I might be getting details of this wrong, but basically the idea of the the way that the opening set piece was created where 
it's this training simulation where all of the original cast members die off and then it's revealed to be a training situation was devised to kind of throw people off the scent so they could say, oh, that's what happened, and then enjoy the rest of the movie. And then you'd have the, the twist at the end that Spock died, which is, yeah, it's interesting thinking about like how twists and spoilers and things like that worked in the 80s versus now. But anyway, I do love the opening scene, though, because it's just this great, like, you know, we're all waiting for Captain Kirk, the reveal of Captain Kirk. And you have this, like, it's set up like an episode of Star Trek. Everyone is, all the characters you know and love are all in their individual places. And then it goes to the captain's seat and who spins around in the chair, but it's it's not Captain Kirk. It's Lieutenant Savick, who is a, um, a young female Vulcan uh, who is in training to become a captain. And then everything goes wrong in the mission. Everyone dies, seemingly. And then the doors open and there's this great shot of the light and the silhouette and Captain Kirk comes forward and oh my gosh, there he is. Um, so yeah, I just <laughs> found that an interesting way to to set it up. Um, I, I really enjoyed that um, that setup. I don't know. What did you think of the opening? Well, I wanted to ask because you're saying how much you appreciate and enjoy that kind of opening sequence with the simulation. Have you ever read the book Ender's Game? I have not, no. Do you know what it is? I know that it's a, a sci-fi um, book about a like kid who is some sort of genius and is like <laughs> made to do games but as, as a way to like train him to save the world or something like that yeah i mean kind of clear on the details I, I think i think you might i think you might enjoy it because the premise of it is it you know it is this kid and he is a genius and he's called to this place where because he's this the chosen one, as with like every book ever, because he's the chosen one, he has to go and prepare for these aliens that are supposedly coming to take over the world. And so his process of training to fight the aliens is he and like a, a space team and the people who run a ship, they get together and they do countless simulations over and over and over again, testing the scenarios of how they will fight these aliens and blah, 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 blah. So this just, I, I mean, Ender's Game came out way, not, I guess not way after this movie because it came out in the 80s. But um, but if you're interested in, in a premise like that, Ender's Game is a good book and, and it is very similar, except it, it has... Yeah, it doesn't, I'm not going to spoil things, um, but it's a very good book. And if you like those types of concepts, I would highly recommend Ender's Game. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as the opening sequence, I, um, well, first of all, so the opening, opening sequence with the credits and everything, I did want to say, I'm sure there's Trekkies out there, if there are Trekkies listening to this, that are going to be frustrated with me saying this, but I did feel like that opening credit sequence, the film score sounded a lot like Star Wars to me. And I don't know <laughs> if if that's just because that's what space sci-fi scores sounded like in general at that time. Um, I don't think throughout the whole movie, the film score sounds like Star Wars, but particularly that opening sequence, I was like, um, did John Williams do this? And then I saw it was James Horner. And I was like, James yeah, Horner, I love you. This is a very early James Horner. yeah. Uh, I think this might have been more or less his big break. Yeah, I mean, I love James Horner, um, but that opening sequence, I was like, "Come on, man, do do something a little a little more original. Come on." Um, but anyway, yeah, I just I wanted to 
mention that. Um, but I didn't feel that throughout the whole movie, just that opening sequence. Yeah. It's funny um, you say that because I have a note saying like how much I love the, <laughs> the main theme uh, that James Horner wrote because it, it's it sounds to me like you know it's not the same song that was used in the original series because the original series had a theme song and this is something different the, but it's so intertwined with star trek for me isn't the star trek isn't it like da 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 is that star trek or is that something else yes i believe so although i do get i get confused like without hearing it right in front of me i do tend to mix up what the original series theme is versus what is the theme in this movie because oh, okay. both of them are so Star Trek for me. Because there's also the da da Oh, never mind. <laughs> well isn't yeah. isn't that one of them though? The da 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 is that I, one of them or no? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. We should have brought a Trekkie on here to help us do we this. We really should. If there's any <laughs> Trekkie someone who's capable this, of like retaining music. <laughs> yeah. More than like if, if there are any Trekkies listening to this, I sincerely apologize. Apologize. We may or may not be butchering something that's very special to you. Because I remember when I was listening to the, um, uh, th- there's a podcast for The Office where they're kind of just going through every episode of the show. It's called Office Ladies. And I remember they went on this stint for a while where Jenna, um, the, the woman who plays Pam, she had started watching Game of Thrones. And... <laughs> And Angela Kinsey, who plays Angela on the show, she was like, oh, my gosh, you haven't watched Game of Thrones? Blah, blah, blah. And because Angela is a huge fan. And so they would come on and they start talking about Game of Thrones. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys don't know anything about Game of Thrones. Please stop talking about it like this. This is something that's really important to me. And you sound like an idiot and you're ruining what I love. And so <laughs> I sincerely apologize if we're doing that to tracking people. Um, but, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what were we talking about? We, oh, you sorry. were talking about the score. Oh, yeah. And the uh, well, we were talking about the opening more generally. Yeah. Um, yeah, the opening. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you don't have any any major major thoughts on that. Um, when it when it did become a simulation, I kind of had a thought of, oh, that's interesting. But other than that, it, I didn't have any strong strong comments or feelings about that opening sequence. Gotcha. Yeah, well, what I love, what I also love about the opening to this movie is that it introduces this concept of the the Kobayashi Maru, which is a test that apparently every um, person who's on the the track to become a Starfleet captain has to go through. And the idea is that it's a test, not of ability, but of character, where you're presented with a no-win situation and you have to figure out how you deal with that. So... You know, do you do you go pr- pragmatically? Do you go in in terms of you know trying to rescue people, even if it's a lost cause? Like basically, just you're confronted with the idea that you are going to bring about death, whether it's the death of your own, of yourself, of your crew, of other people, and you have to yeah figure out how you're going to deal with that. And so throughout the film, so well, in the opening scene, we see Lieutenant Savick. Um, take this test and as expected (laughs) it ends in in the destruction of her ship and she's a little bit confused and um you know unhappy with her own performance in it um because she feels you know she feels frustrated you know this is unfair it's a no-win situation um 
And throughout the film, she keeps asking Captain Kirk. Well, I keep saying Captain Kirk. It's Admiral Kirk in this movie, which is a big, big plot point. He was a captain in the original show, but since then he's accepted promotion. He's now an admiral. So he's no longer in the field. He's no longer commanding a spaceship. He's doing things like overseeing inspections and making sure that other people are are ready to go out on their voyages. But so she keeps asking him, how did you, what did you do for the, the Kobayashi Maru? What was your was your experience of the test? And he keeps putting it off and putting it off and and not answering her. And then finally he reveals the fact that he I did I did love that reveal. I thought that was super yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he what he did basically is he cheated. <laughs> he reprogrammed the test so that he could actually win. And that become ends up becoming a huge part of the uh, the journey that he's going on through this movie because this movie is so much about this idea of facing death and what do you do in the event that there's a situation where there's no way to win that does not bring about some sort of loss or sacrifice. And, you know, Kirk has always been this character who's kind of, um, you know, he's not quite the like hot shot, reckless, um, you know, playboy that is um, like to the extent that the the J.J. Abrams movies present him as, but he's still, you know, a, a character who's, um, you know, he's very sure of himself. He's um, had a lot of adventures. He's definitely dated a lot of women. <laughs> he's, um, you know, he's lived a lot of life. Um, but he really hasn't gotten to the point where he has had to think about the idea of him dying or someone he loves dying. And so the Kobayashi Maru kind of becomes this um, sort of interesting way of comparing what his outlook is and what his experience is to the idea that everyone eventually has to confront, which is the idea that, you know, death is inevitable. And at certain points, there's nothing that we can do to, um, you know, to prevent the the fact that we're going to have to confront death and the, the fact that people close to us are going to have to die. And so we just have to figure out how are we going to deal with that idea. And so that's very much what this movie is about, is Kirk coming face to face with this this thing that he's never had to deal with and, and growing past it. Do you have any thoughts on that or any thoughts on the Kobayashi Maru test? I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if this means that I'm stupid <laughs> or, or if we're just different in the way that we watch things or if it's the fact that you've seen it more times than I have. Sure. Which which I think that's probably what it is. That's probably but I feel what like, it is. But I feel like for me, I didn't I didn't really come out of this movie with any deep philosophical sort of anything. I, for me, it was kind of just an action movie where I just felt like, oh, that was a really fun time. And I think it's just because the way that I I mean, it depends on the movie, but a lot of times when I watch things, it's kind of like the first time I watch it, I'm just having the experience. I'm not necessarily thinking about anything. And so I guess that's a long way of me saying a lot of these deep thoughts that you're having have not even occurred to me because (laughs) I I was kind of just watching and experiencing. And I think think as you're saying all of these things, I see the themes and I'm connecting the dots but 
it wasn't something where while watching it, I was like, oh, wow, this whole movie is a metaphor for how Kirk is dealing with death and life and aging. And it was just kind of like, oh, okay, he's having this conversation and now he's going over here and this person's coming after him and now this person died and now he's talking about death. And I, I don't know, like I, I saw that I saw those themes in those particular moments and it was specifically spoken, but I didn't. I didn't really think about it in such a way where I was connecting it through, like through threads throughout the whole movie. Yeah. So yeah, no, that actually makes total sense because, you know, when you said that you wish you'd seen this um, as a child, you'd first experienced this as as a child. I remember when I first I first experienced this movie as a child. That was very much how I was taking it in, um, you know, and just like enjoying the action, enjoying the sort of theatricality of the performances. I feel like this movie, one of the things that I love about this movie is that it really does reward rewatching it as you get older, because I've seen this several times now. It had actually been several years since I'd, I'd seen it last, but every time I watch it now, you know, the older I get, the more I relate to Kirk and relate to the the emotions that he's feeling and relate to that sense of, you know, regret and, you know, most, multiple the way your life has branched at certain points and you chose one road to go down, but you always wonder about what could have happened if I'd gone down the other road. Or, you know, I made this one choice when I was younger and now the consequences of it have come back to haunt me in a way that I didn't expect. You know, that that's something that's just universal emotions. You know, every single adult feels that and we only feel it more and more as we get older. But it's definitely something that I didn't notice on first <laughs> on first watch. It's something that you know, it becomes more clear to me with every subsequent time that I watch it, you know, as I, as I watch it as an adult, as I get older and, and rewatch it. And I feel like in certain ways, that's almost a sign of a movie being a really good movie because it's something where, because there's a lot of movies out there where it's like, let's hit you over the head with our theme so that we, so that you know what we're trying to tell you. And that's just kind of like, you don't, you don't need to do that. Just let the audience experience it and feel it. You know, it doesn't have to be this thing where you're directly calling it out. And I feel like this movie does a really good job at you can just watch it and enjoy it and kind of subtly feel those themes in the back of your mind. But then when you choose to go back and rewatch it, you can almost see it in a totally different light because because you know what's happening you know the fun that's going on so because of that you're able to look deeper and kind of lift pull the layers back a little bit and I mean I've only seen this movie once but I feel like that is that is representative of this being a good action film because the first time you watch it it can be seen as just action but then when you peel back the layers there's a lot of depth there um, I just didn't necessarily get all the depth the first time around, but I can tell that it's there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, that's like, that's what a really good action movie will do is it'll, on the first watch, it is, you can engage with on the level of just pure enjoyment, but then subsequent watches, you'll find more and more things to admire about it, You know, ways to relate to the characters or things that it can teach you about life. Yeah, I, I really like that phrasing. And I hope <laughs> I hope you come back to this movie at some point. Maybe not right away, but you know, sometime in the future. Yeah, I mean I would I would definitely come back to it. I think I think it would be something that 
I don't know. I, I would love to watch it with my niece when she's old enough oh, and kind of idea. see it, see it through her eyes and just enjoy that experience with her. And then also the, having that be my second time, I can kind of go a little bit deeper. I don't know. I, I would love to watch this with her when she gets old enough. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could come Whatever. watch it with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. And then you have to watch three and four and four is um, the, um, four is the comedic one, which, which one I is the whale one? Enjoyed. I want to yes, watch the one four. with the whales. <laughs> Star Trek save the whales. That's number four. Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So can I, can I just say mm-hmm. one thing? This is kind of my, cause again, while watching this movie, I kind of just was experiencing it and not thinking too much so I don't have extensive notes so that being said whatever you have to say I will respond as best I can um but so this is my last note that I have (laughs) um and it has it it kind of has to do with this movie as well as lots of other movies that I've seen something that I I won't say it's a pet peeve because it doesn't make me mad I just find it to be really funny is that in a lot of these older movies where particularly in between the 60s and the 80s there is this like ridiculously fake sound of shoes when people are walking <laughs> that has bothered me ever uh-huh. since I was like 10 years old because it's like I don't everyone sounds like they're wearing high heels and they make the shoes unnecessarily loud like the shoe sounds should not be as loud or louder than the dialogue it it just it's unnecessary it doesn't need to be and there is so much of that in this movie because there's a lot of people walking around and so it's just like can can we please turn the shoes down a little bit you guys um that is hilarious i have to say that is not what i expected you to say (laughs) But I love it. I agree. It's just, (laughs) it's something that shows up in so many movies from this time period. And it's always struck me as just being funny and distracting. (laughs) But anyway, so that's my last note that I have on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. (laughs) All right. Well, duly noted. (laughs) So uh, thanks for listening, you guys, and talk to you next week. (laughs) That's it. Um, yeah, so there's a couple other things that I just wanted to to talk yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go go for it. I don't want to like I don't want to stop just be yeah, go for it. Well, I mean, I mean, you, obviously you should have shaved, saved your uh, your shoe point for the the, the final <laughs> so that we could uh, end what? on that rhetorical question of, you know, right. what were they doing? What were they putting in their shoes back then? Yeah. Um yeah, so I wanted to um just take a couple minutes and just talk about some of the the performance of those performances of the secondary characters in this. Um, I really enjoy the character of Lieutenant Savick. Um, she's played by Kirstie Alley, who uh, just recently passed away, but I think she does a Wait, really, what? really great. How yeah. did she die? She wasn't that old, was she? I do not know. I just know that she recently passed away. Oh, she was 71. Maybe it was. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, but yeah, I, I I really think she's good at uh, very good in this movie. She does the uh, I think she does a good job of projecting the you know the Vulcan uh, 
know, logic, um, lack of emotionality for the most part. But I read, well, I read, I read, mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, I read something about how the the idea behind her character is that she's half Vulcan and half Romulan, which means that she has access to a little a little bit more emotionality than a uh, pure Vulcan would. Um, similar to Spock, because Spock is half Vulcan, half human. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, she is that kind of um, yeah, like purely logical kind of cold character. But you do see these mo moments of emotion peeking out. Um, I think she expresses a little bit of annoyance with herself in her performance in the Kobayashi Maru, which is, um, which is great. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoy her sort of mentor mentee relationship with Spock and with Kirk at, at different points. Um, you know, she's clearly this very talented up and coming officer, um, who is just, yeah, looking for some kind of direction from these two legendary Starfleet officers. Um, the character of David is, I think is probably to me, the one that I struggle with the most with this movie. I like the idea of the character um, in general. So David is the estranged son of Captain Kirk. So Captain Kirk was, he'd um, previously been in a relationship with Dr. Carol Marcus. Um, she got pregnant. The two of them apparently at some point in the past made the decision that David was going to stay with um, Dr. Marcus and she was going to raise him and Kirk is not going to be involved in his life. So as a result, David has grown up kind of, and he's this very sort of idealistic, impulsive character. Um, he's a scientist like his mother and he really looks down on the military and he sees them, or at least Starfleet really sees them as kind of a, um, you know, reckless and, power hungry and a source of danger um, for what they're trying to achieve. And he has this very negative view of Kirk that changes throughout the movie. So I really like the idea of this character. I think it's a really interesting way to have Kirk kind of confront his own flaws by suddenly being reunited with this son that he hasn't seen in a very long time and seeing how negatively his son looks at him and then kind of having the two of them reevaluate re their perceptions of each other throughout the movie. I don't know if the movie fully pulls it off just because I, I don't know. I don't really like the actor who plays the son very much. <laughs> I did not look up his name, so I don't want to like call him I've out got the whole name, cast but... pulled up right here so that I can know who you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, the actor's name is Merritt Buttrick. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't remember ever seeing him in anything else. So maybe he's a good actor in other things. I've just never been super impressed with his performances, David. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of the character and I like the, the role that he functions in Kirk's journey. I just, yeah, I struggle with the actual performance of that, that character. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on David or Dr. Marcus actually? Um, Dr. Marcus is the, the woman, right? Yeah. No. Carol Marcus. Oh, sorry. I, okay. Gotcha. I was confusing her with the other, with the other woman. I, I literally have the cast pulled up here because there's so many people in, and I'm like, I don't know who anyone yeah, and is. Yeah, half of them have names that are not um, English yeah. names. 
Oh, and half of them, they don't really mention their names other than like one time. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, so this Carol, is one of those movies where it really helps to have uh, subtitles turned on for so, people's names. So Carol is the mom. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we talked we talked a little bit about this yesterday because I called Geneva last night and I was like, I just want to make sure I understood what happened. <laughs> What's going um, on in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like, I mean, as far as her performance goes, I liked her performance. I yeah, did just... I actually really, really like the actress who plays Dr. Marcus. I think she does a great job of being sort of, you know, she's a very, the actress, she's very beautiful. You know, she's very, um, very intelligent. And you can see what, what Kirk was um, attracted to about her. And she's also very pragmatic in the way that's very different from David. You know, David is very like... Ah, oh, Starfleet, oh, Captain Kirk. And she's like, well, now hang on. Let's like, I know what Kirk is like. I know what Starfleet is like. Let's think about this and let's, you know, figure out a solution. And I don't know. I, 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 I like her a lot, but sorry, I interrupted you. Um, yeah, so I, I, I liked her performance, but I think, I guess kind of similar what, what, to what you said, but I'll take it a little bit further. I did kind of feel like the whole story arc with Kirk and his son and his lady friend. I don't know. It didn't really feel earned to me. I feel like at the ending, it was trying to have this real heartfelt moment about like family and, and family is important. And I, I don't know. It just didn't feel earned to me. Um, it, it just, it rang hollow. And um, I don't know if that's because of the uh, Merritt Buttrick's performance or what, but I just feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like Carol's character was kind of thrown in out of nowhere. It's like she's this scientist or analyst or whoever she is. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we have a kid. It's like, oh, um, uh, OK. I don't know. It just it felt it felt that storyline felt very tacked on to me. And I think that there was a lot of potential for that to be um, just a lot more of a a stronger element to help round out Kirk's character and complete his story arc. And I think it was a good idea. I just feel like it wasn't, wasn't fleshed out enough. Um, but like I said, I liked the actress who plays Carol. I liked her performance. Um, yeah. And the, the son, just his character in general, didn't really do it for me. Yeah. Not just the acting, but just in general, that character, yeah. I didn't, didn't do much for me. Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, not to keep slurring, poor Merritt Buttrick. Um, I think it's not really helped by the script because I think if the script had been a little bit more interested in filling out David's character um, and Carol's too, to some extent, but helping us understand a little bit more of what their experiences are like without Kirk in their lives, um, I think, or who they are or what they want um, apart from their relationship to Kirk, that probably would have helped um, with my concerns. It would have helped David feel like a more fully rounded character rather than a, a device for having Kirk uh, examine his own mortality. I do want to also just give a shout out to, um, I really love the the costume design and the production mm. design in this movie. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. I mentioned before that the red uniforms, this is the first time that to my knowledge, um, Trekkies can correct me if I'm <laughs> unaware of some other property, but I believe this is the first time that they've been introduced into the Star Trek universe, and I think they re- they look really great. Um, they give a nice uniformity to all the characters. They kind of <laughs> uniformity. Yes. Was, that a pun- was that a pun intended or no? No, it was not. <laughs> well, there you go. But <laughs> <Yeah>. um. <laughs> 
yeah, they kind of um, give the sort of military aspects of it while also making they they're very you know kind of streamlined you can see them being used well in action um i love the little flap on the the front of it because whenever you know someone is kind of distressed or in danger or in a stressful situation that flap will will fall down and they just like there's just that little bit of undershirt peeking through and they look a little bit undressed you can kind of tell what their mental state is at the time um, that's great. I love the look of Kirk's apartment when we get to see it, where it's this futuristic space apartment, and yet he's fully decked it out with all of these kind of antiques from, you know, probably 500 plus years ago, years before his time, and all of this military and naval equipment and everything, which is so perfect for his um, his character. Um, the fact that both of his uh, friends um for his birthday give him antiques you know <laughs> spock gives him a book and bones gives, gives him glasses so he can actually read the book like it's just very sweet they know he, they know him so well speaking of speaking of um kirk's friends and spock i think this is something that probably would have been a bigger deal had i had the history of seeing the tv show and the first movie and all of that stuff um but I, I don't know. I felt like this is kind of jumping forward, I guess, and maybe going off on a little bit of a tangent. But I felt like this whole ending sequence of Spock dying and Kirk coming down and, and they have this conversation through the glass and all of that stuff. I, I, I loved that moment. But at the same time, I felt like the movie did not really establish their friendship very much. And maybe that's because I didn't, like I said, I didn't have the backstory of their relationship and, and seeing them build it over time and in previous, um, previous, what's the word I'm looking for? Like iterations or something. Like yeah. That. Inter- iterations or canon or whatever. Um, but I kind of just felt like they kept saying, you're my best friend. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. But I didn't really see much of that actually coming across in terms of how they, how they interact with each other or, or whatever. But I don't know. I just like I saw Spock being very um, sacrificial in terms of I'm going to be the one that goes down to the planet. I'm going to be the one that does these things. And he was very caring towards the crew as a whole. And the crew was very appreciative of the sacrifices that he made. But I didn't feel that emotional connection specifically between Kirk and Spock, if that makes sense. Um, And I don't know if that's yeah, I, I don't know that that just I'm not going to say it didn't work for me because I think that that moment at the end was very emotional. But I wish that I wish that there had been more of that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I feel like it's, it might be a little bit of a both and where if you had, you know, if you had seen the TV show before or seen any of the other movies before things like that if you had more of a context for the relationship, it might have helped it to hit harder. But I wonder if too a subsequent viewing of the movie where you are, you know, able to focus more on the character relationships and the interactions they're having with each other might help because there are some, a couple of really important and I think really sweet conversations that Kirk has throughout the movie with Spock with bones as well. I, I bones is my favorite character. So I'm always, on the I, I definitely, I definitely felt the friendship chemistry between bones and Kirk for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that really wonderful scene where Kirk goes to see 
Spock when he first gets the the message that they need to go out and investigate what's going on with um, the regular uh, space station. And he's like, well, you know, I don't want, you know, I'm just, I'm just here on an inspection. I don't want to impose. I don't want to be taking over. And Spock's like, no, no, you're the senior officer. You're supposed to be taking over. Like, this is what's supposed to happen. And then he has that great line where he says, you forget, I'm a Vulcan. I have no ego to bruise. <laughs> like, stop trying to make me feel better. I am a Vulcan. You are not making me feel any better. <laughs> and, um, and then there's that really great, you know, moment where he, he, just basically speaks frankly to Kirk and says, you know, you really should never have taken this promotion because it's, it's not right for your personality. It's not right for your, your gift set. You are supposed to be out having adventures and not sitting behind a desk and conducting inspections. And you just, for me at least, and again, like I do have the context of having seen much more Star Trek than you do, but I feel like I can really see the chemistry between these two characters and see the history where he's like, I know you so well. And I know that this is not right for you and I'm going to tell you so. And, you know, and it's out of care and concern for you. And he has that line where he says, you are my superior officer and you are also my friend. I have been and always shall be yours. And again, you know, with, with Spock and with, you know, prior knowledge of Spock and, you know, him as a, this half Vulcan, generally very logical and very unemotional character to have him say, you are my friend is, you know, it's a big thing for his character to really be expressing affection for another person. So, yeah, like I said, I think it's a little bit at both and where um, I think the more you interact with Star Trek, the, that backstory between the characters will help to fill in. But also I think it, on subsequent viewings, it might also help to just be focusing more on the, the interactions that they do have in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, because yeah. I, I I want to feel the friendship love. I do. I really want to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Just shout out to like. I mean, it almost goes without saying because these are actors who've been inhabiting these characters for decades at this point when this movie is made. But you know, all the performances from the 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 main cast are so good, and in particular, I mean. Leonard Nimoy as Spock is just such a an all-time classic character. And, you know, playing a, a character who is so unemotional and so cold in certain ways can be, I think, very difficult. And he always manages to do it so well where you can you can always tell that there is an emotion bubbling beneath the surface, even if he's not, even if it's very subtle. You know, just the little crick of an eyebrow or something like that. You can tell how he is reacting to something someone says. And one underrated part of Star Trek um, that I really enjoyed when I finally went back and watched the main series and then kind of got new appreciation for the movies as well. I really love the dynamic between Spock and Bones, where they have this sort of it's it's this funny dynamic where it's like, here's Kirk, and then he's two best friends, and the two best friends are kind of forced to endure each other because they have this friend in common. But there is, so there's this kind of mutual antagonism between the two of them, but there's also a lot of love and affection between them. And so every time they interact, you know, they're always in some sort of spat about something you know so they're they talk about in this movie they're they're talking about genesis and bones of course is very opt uh pessimistic about it and he's like oh my goodness you know 
look at the destructive possibilities of this thing. We're all playing God. What's going on? And then Spock is very just sort of coldly analyzing the, um, you know, the the scientific interest of it. Bones gets all offended. And, but I, I, yeah, I really love their, their dynamics because you really can tell that even though they spar with each other, they really, they both enjoy the sparring, you know, they really do have a lot of affection for each other. And yeah, so every time they get to, to interact with each other um, in the TV show or in the movies, I always enjoy that a lot. Yeah. I, again, it's, I, I think, Geneva, I do think that you are benefiting a lot more from the fact that you have watched other iterations of of Star Trek. Because I think, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I feel like at the same time, I'm like, I didn't get any of that. Like, <laughs> like I get... I, uh-huh. I see I see the bits and pieces of it but there's nothing of like oh my gosh I love the banter between these two or I love it. it's just kind of like oh yeah they're bantering that's cool I just I feel like it is something where you do kind of have to have a previous relationship to these things and um this is not me saying I'm gonna go back and watch everything Star Trek <laughs> because I'm gonna be honest I'm not going to do that probably not but but I do think that there is a lot going on here in terms of like emotional connection between characters that you can't really fully, fully connect with unless you've seen the TV show. Yeah. Or at least kind of seen the other movies and seen them multiple times to really, really understand the dynamics and connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that being the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Let me, trying to see if I have any other notes of things I want to talk about. There's just so many great little moments. And as I said before, there are so many lines in this movie that I really love. I love the part where Khan is like, I've hurt you and I want to wish to go on hurting you. <laughs> His performance, like I said in the it's beginning, so is insane. But like, it's, in, it's in the really best, like, it, I mean that in a totally positive way, but it is, it's, it's insane. <laughs> Yeah, there are so many references to classic literature in this movie, which again, I think is something that helped me to connect with it early on because I was a big um, English I'm literature sorry. fan. I'm sorry, was? You just said was. <laughs> Am. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> you know, Kirk uh, quoting A Tale of Two Cities at the end after Spock's sacrifice. Um, I mean, just uh, Tale of Two Gina, Cities, have we- a book which never fails to make me cry. Geneva, have we ever talked about A Tale of Two Cities? Do you like that book? I love that book. I have one major reservation with that book, but at the same time, I've read it a few times and I always cry. So Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. What about you? Do you have strong feelings about that book? I do. Um, my strong feelings are that I think I think that it's a really um it's a really powerful story. That could have been told in a hundred pages instead of five hundred. <laughs> well, this is what everyone always says about Charles Dickens, and I I'm mean, like, I, I disagree. I I but genuinely, I, I genuinely love the story of that book, but had I not been forced to read the entire thing because it was required in my English honors class, there's no way I would have kept reading. It's just like there's so much, and of course, there's a whole joke and cliche of he was paid by the word, blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and it freaking shows, man. I'm just like, gosh, <laughs> you don't need all of this other stuff. So I, I do have strong feelings in that I do really like the story, but also way too long, way too long 
way too long. (laughs) I disagree, but I also completely understand because we read so much Charles Dickens in high school and I was the only person in my classes who ever enjoyed it. And I just feel like English classes have so much to answer for, for making high school kids hate great works of literature that they would otherwise have loved if they encountered them in other circumstances. I don't know. I think there's, I mean, this is a total tangent, but I, (laughs) but I also think that like, I don't know. I read a lot of other books in my English classes in high school that are really long classics that I was able to connect with. Like I was required to read East of Eden, which has become one of my favorite books Mm, of all time. I've read it like three times. It's a very long book. It was written a while ago. It's, but at the same time, it is very engaging and it has a fantastic story. And it's one of those things where it's like, yes, English classes do tend to make things a lot less, um, I guess, engaging or not, not less engaging, but they kind of inhibit your motivation to actually because it's assigned to you, you kind of already have this mentality of like, oh, I don't want to like it because I'm being forced to read it. Um, but if a book is, if a book, I'm not going to say if it's good because I do think Tell of Two Cities is good. But I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't necessarily yeah. blame English classes on the reason why a lot of people think that A Tale of Two Cities yeah. is too long. Well, with Charles Dickens, at least for me, um, we really are on a tangent, but that's fine. (laughs) It's okay. Welcome (laughs) to me and Geneva's friendship. Yeah. For me, with Charles Dickens, so much of his books, it's not just about the plot. It is about really settling in and meeting all of these different characters and different levels of society and hearing his sort of editorializing and satirizing of the society around him and... So if you're going into his books saying, this is about the plot, why is the plot not being delivered at a steady pace? You're going to get so frustrated. Like, for me, the the enjoyment of reading Charles Dickens is, you know, the plot is part of it, but a lot of it is also the humor with which he describes the characters and the, you know, oh, here's a chapter where we're just going on going to go off on a little tangent and meet this random character who only, you know, partly ties into the plot but it allows me to kind of explore this tiny little micro subsection of Victorian society and what I have to think about it and things like that and yeah like it's definitely a your mileage may vary it works for me I 100% 100% can see why it does not work for everybody like in um <laughs> in Great Expectations which is probably my favorite Charles Dickens novel um although I do need to reread Cows. Um, there's this one chapter where the main character goes home um, to have dinner with his friend, Mr. Wemmick, um, who is just a complete side character. He does not play any important role in the main plot whatsoever. He's just a, it's just one chapter where he goes on a little side tangent and then it never is affected, affecting the main plot again. But I think about that chapter and the character of Mr. Wemmick so much because he's this character who has this terrible job with this oppressive boss and when pip first meet the main character first meets him he describes mr wemmick as having this mouth that is like a straight line it's like a post box and he's so stern and unemotional 
And then when he goes home to eat dinner with him, he says, as they're walking out and as they're walking home, Mr. Wemmick's mouth gradually just started to loosen and relax and unfurl. And all of a sudden he becomes more animated and emotional and gregarious. And it's just... (laughs) When you're working a job that is a stressful job where you're very frustrated about what's happening every day and you can't say anything, which I think a lot of us can relate to, it's just such a perfect description for how that feels, you know? And so even though this thing does not in any way tie into the plot, it's still a character description that I just think about all the time because I'm like, yes, Mr. Wemmick, I know how you feel. Anyway, sorry. That's a complete tangent, but that's just like a little subset. I started the tangent. So I started the tangent. I take full blame, (laughs) take full responsibility. Uh, Geneva and I are starting a book podcast. No, we're not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, we are not. I feel like that would be terrible because you and I have very different tastes in books, and I feel like we don't really cross over at any point. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it would also just be like, I don't read enough. So it would be great because it would get me to read more. But also, I feel yeah. like we would only be able to record an episode every three months. So, yeah. yeah. You got to pick. You got to watch movies or are you going to read books? Well, I've made yeah. my choice, which is not to say I don't read. I, I do read. I just, yeah. Anyway. Wow. Let's get back to the movie. Uh, do you have any more <laughs> thoughts, Geneva? Or should we uh, should we close out? <laughs> Um, yeah, not really. Just, um, again, how much I, I really like the, the final scene, you know, Kirk's, uh, Spock's sacrifice, the, the image of him and Kirk trying, saying goodbye to each other through the glass and the way that, again, Leonard Nimoy's performance where he's kind of curled up against the wall in a way that we've never seen Spock be before. Like he's such a controlled character and then seeing him be unsteady and, basically dying like the makeup they put on his face to make it look like his basically skin is dying off. he he well, is dying yes. he's not basically I mean, dying <laughs> yes yeah that's right you're you're correct yes <laughs> but yeah the the makeup they put on his face to make it look like his skin is beginning to peel off and it's really just sad and horrifying and they give the vulcan salute to each other through the glass kirk looks so shell-shocked um, and then he gives that beautiful eulogy at his funeral where William Shatner's voice just breaks. And yeah, I think it's, even though, you know, I mean, I don't, at the time there was not an official plan to bring Spock back. There are hints in the movie where Spock could be brought back if they wanted to. And obviously there are more movies where Spock is in them. So Spock is going to be brought back. But if you're an audience member at the time, you you have no guarantee that that's going to happen. So you have to watch this movie in the context of, you know, this is a complete story where Kirk is having to go through these emotions of, I have lost my friend and I have no reason to think I'm ever going to see him again. And I think it's just, yeah, I, I think the performances are great. And I think it's just a really beautiful moment. Um, I feel like you have to, well, you don't have to, but I kind of make a connection between that and uh, Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ice and Fire. If you don't want spoilers for that, skip forward 45 seconds. But kind of like when Jon Snow dies in the book, Mm. because the book came out long before the TV show did, it's like, oh my gosh, Jon Snow's dead (laughs) and then in the tv show it was like oh my i mean a lot of people binge watched it so they didn't get that effect because they just watched the next episode but there definitely was a shock of like oh my gosh this main character is dead what happens now um 
anyway, I don't want to go on too long because I said skip forward 45 seconds. And I don't want to like spoil that for people. But, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like there is that. kind of a, a, a similar. I mean, obviously, this is not the, the like this has been done many times, but it just in my brain, it kind of seems similar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, Geneva, can I mm-hmm. can I ask you a question before we kind of like move on to the ending section here? Sure. So my question is, I saw that on Letterboxd, you rated this as five stars. I'm I'm genuinely curious because you watch a lot of movies, which is just obvious. But why for you is this movie a five star film and not like four or four and a half? Because I know that this is a movie that you enjoy, but five stars makes me think that this is like this is a perfect film for you. And it's something that you really like. What makes this a five-star film for you? I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, it's funny you say that, actually, because when I rewatched it the other night, I was intending to give it four and a half, and then I saw that I'd previously given it five stars, and so I just stuck with the (laughs) five-star rating. (laughs) I should probably lower it to four and a half for it to be more accurate, because as I said, I do have that one reservation about the character of David, Um, and uh, I feel like more characterization could have been given to him to make that plot line stronger. But yeah, for me, it's definitely at minimum a four and a half star movie. Yeah, I mean, like we've been saying, it's just a movie that I think does a really good job of balancing the sort of fun, propulsive action um, storyline. You know, it's a movie that's just, it's fun to watch. (laughs) You know, it's fun to watch Ricardo Montalban go all out as Khan. You know, it's fun to watch all these great lines. It's the way seeing Kirk try to outsmart his enemy is really fun. But it does have these sort of deeper layers that become really, that are very relatable and, and thoughtful and that I just appreciate more and more as I get older. And again, seeing you know, having interacted with the characters in in some form or another for a long time, seeing the way that they interact with each other is just, you know, it's just a pleasure to see um, these characters with this this great chemistry and this long history with each other and the way that they interact in these different situations. So, yeah, I just think it's a really, really well done movie that sticks with me and. I can appreciate more and more with every subsequent viewing, you know, it's not, it's not a movie that's on my personal top 10 of all time, but it is a movie that I think is just extremely well done and really resonates with me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just curious. Yeah. Thank you. That's a really good question. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, so to move on little bit. I did not do a huge amount of research into the um, kind of critical legacy of this movie. Um, This movie currently on Rotten Tomatoes is 86% fresh. Metacritic has it at 68. Um, It's always kind of difficult to get accurate readings on both those things when it is a bit older. But uh, I did find one quote from Angie Arrigo at Empire Magazine. So this is a a review that she wrote in, I believe, 2000 or 2001. She said, the most elegiac, elegiac, elegiac? Yes, elegiac. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those times when you see a word and you've read it 
many times, but you've never actually had to sound it out loud. <laughs> well, I have literally never even read that word, so I can't help you with pronouncing okay. it. <laughs> it's from the idea of the word elegy. So, most elegiac of the big street big screen treks. The adventure celebrates comradeship above all the other fundamentals imperatives of the trek ethos, like courage, curiosity, and cultural imperialism, lol. And it's a tale told with considerable warmth and humor, some spiffing explosions, and a multiple hanky act of self-sacrifice to round things off. So I thought that summed it I up pretty well. I have no idea what a multiple hanky act of self-sacrifice is. Does that mean like crying and you have to take a hanky out yeah, to wipe your so. eyes? Yeah, I think so. Okay, like it, gotcha. It makes you forces you to use multiple hankies. Which gotcha. I won't. When was that yeah. review written? Because <laughs> hankies, I feel like <laughs> no one uses that word anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> two thousand or two thousand one. I don't think people were using hankies even then. But um, sure. Get with the it's times, Angie. Come on. Come on. All right. So, um, in terms of what moves us about this movie, I mean, I've sort of expressed this already, but again, just the the older I get, the more I can really relate to Kirk's, um, you know, the confrontation he has with growing older and the idea of regret and dealing with the consequences of your actions, and yeah, I just think it's really beautiful and well done. And then also. Again, just every every line that comes out of Khan's mouth just really sticks with me, really rattles around in my brain at odd times. And um, Khan, like his final dying moments, um, you know, his sort of, you know, very much vengeance to the death of both of us is just, yeah, it's so it's so operatic, you know, the the register at which he he operates and. Yeah, it's just, it's really great. So, I don't know. Anything about this movie stick out or, or move you in any particular way? Um, I think I think the two main ones are, I, I really was struck by the special effects in this movie. Um, I don't know how they did those explosions inside such small interior sets. Um, I don't know if that's because, like, fire safety was a lot more lax back then now it's like if we have a candle on set it's like let's have a fire safety meeting um but i mean they've so i yeah anyway i i was really impressed by the special effects and then also i have to agree with you khan's performance is crazy um and it's just you can't you can't not look at him he's just he just he demands your attention and he's he really crazy does. and I love it. Um, and that opening shot of his gloves really, really is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I guess those are the things that are gonna, gonna stick with me. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So Tatum, do you want to reveal what we're going to be covering in the next episode? Yeah. So next week we're going to be shaking things up a little bit because as Every I don't know. As a lot of people know, um, coming up this weekend is the Oscars ceremony. Yay. So, yeah. So Super Geneva and excited. I will be. Yes, it's going to be an interesting ceremony. I kind of feel like everything I want to win, not one of them is going to win. <laughs> but uh, but we'll see. Uh, so yeah, next week we'll be doing kind of a um, just a, a discussion around just the winners, the nominees, the ceremony in general, um, and go from there. So. 
join us for that. Watch the ceremony if you'd like. And also, I know a lot of people aren't emailing us, but if anyone wants to email us, I would love to hear um, the things that you guys wanted to win and things that you were disappointed about. Um, I would love to hear other people's feedback. So feel free to email us about that if you'd want, if you'd want, if you'd like. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it should be fun. It'll be, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Geneva and I have these discussions every year, so it'll be fun to record it and share it with you guys. So yeah, yeah, join us for that. It'll be a good time. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Till next time.